0: to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, joined by Jeremiah Searles, former Minnesota Viking. And just before the show, Jeremiah broke some very interesting news to me that, uh, Jeremiah, you have been the fat man checking into the game, similar to what happened in the Lions and Cowboys game that has become such a big controversy, but also the NFL with accountability as their main goal, put that and crew right back on national TV this week. So clearly they care about that. But I am interested to hear what you thought of that entire operation, having been the dude who checks in and runs that play. So since you don't want to talk about Vikings Packers and what happened, <laughs> tell me about that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I gladly, gladly will. I tell the story of 2018 in Buffalo. Uh, so yeah, so it was 2018. I was with the bills. We were playing New York, we we're playing the Jets, and we had put in this play all week, which is exactly what the Lions ran, which is I was the heavy tight end. So all game, I had ran in and, hey, White Hat, Mr. Official, number 74, reporting as ineligible, right? You go like this, he points at you, he announces it to the team, you go on your merry way. But we knew when we got down into like inside the five, we wanted to run this trick play that got our left tackle, Deion Dawkins, a chance to score a touchdown. So We get inside the five, and we run out there, and Dable, as I'm running onto the field, uh, points to me. He's like, hey, this is the play. Like, go do your thing. And so our whole plan was as I was running on the field, Dion and I were going to walk up to the official together, right? So he was number 73. I was number 74. We walk up to the official together. As we're both there, I point to Dion. I go, he's reporting and Dion looks at the official and goes I'm reporting but doesn't do the whole song and dance of like hey I'm I'm eligible right and then as once we reported the offense was then supposed to break the huddle right so cuz we already knew what the play was so we didn't need to hear the play call so as soon as they saw us report they broke the huddle and went to the front and ran up to the line. So, as we're running up to the line and the offense, the White Hats announcing, Hey, 73 is reported as ineligible, but the defense isn't paying attention because they've seen me run in all game. So, they just assume it's me and they're getting lined up trying to get going. And we quick count and we snap it. And sure enough, Dion runs into the corner of the end zone, throws a touchdown. Everyone's celebrating. The defense is all pissed off. And the ref's like, Well, he reported. Right. So that the whole like they were trying to confuse. I saw an article today was like, well, Dan Campbell admits he was trying to confuse the Cowboys. Like, well, obviously, like that's the whole point of the play. The whole point of the play is to cause kind of confusion and then get a guy open. So, yeah, I've ran that play before. We've executed it well. I think the ref just totally botched it. I think the ref wasn't listening. I think the ref looked and was like, oh, here comes 70 again. He's obviously the eligible and wasn't listening to Taylor Decker going, no, 68. 68 is the eligible receiver here. And yeah, he, and then he doubled down on it in the end post game too. Like he's going to die on that hill and there's no way to prove that he didn't hear it.
0: Well, and, uh, when number seven, running in on the f- camera, you could see, he doesn't even get close to the referee enough to even try to report himself. And Decker is standing right there in front of him. So the story that he's trying to tell after the game doesn't really add up, but just in general think about it this way there was a study that looked at people in car crashes and what they said after the car crash versus what had happened if it was like on film or whatever and they routinely got it wrong that that, that things were way farther away or way closer than they thought or you know what whatever it might have been like it can be in a hectic situation difficult to recall or to focus or whatever and i know this is their job this is what they're supposed to be good at but sometimes you just space and make a mistake or you just assume and make a mistake the only thing i'd like to hear is just them say yes i misunderstood I thought it was 70 because he came in the whole game. I announced the wrong player and I'm sorry. Remember, I was thinking about how there was that first base umpire when the dude was about to get a no hitter and remember this, this was like years ago, but he catches the ball to get the no hitter and he raises his arm and then the umpire goes safe and he's like, what what happened and he was he should have been out by a mile the guy should have had a no hitter should have been the night of his life and instead it was a one hitter and the umpire came out and he said i just missed it and i apologize it was one of the reasons that replay ends up in baseball i don't know why we can't do the same thing here i think if you just come out and you're like i misunderstood And also the lions should acknowledge that somebody on the sideline needs to be paying attention to number 70 or number 68, because when they hear number 70, somebody has got to be going, no, 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 no. Right? Like someone in the stadium for the Detroit lions, you know how many people are on a sideline, 700,000 human beings. And nobody was like, let's make sure that he says number 70. So of course, hundred percent, the rest fall absolutely silly that the nfl won't just be like here's what happened sorry lions we know this messes up the season but there's not a whole lot we can do for it and instead this is what we get we get them being like no no the lions are liars the lion liars like come on man everybody and all the other teams that have run this similar stuff they all know exactly what happened i don't understand why we have to do it this way and i also think that It has just been a really bad year for these national TV games with refs. I think somebody said this to me who knows whatever enough. (laughs) They think they're shook. They think they're shook. There's Mm. like a a handful of these big controversies in these big games and these big moments like the Kansas City Chiefs thing and the lining up offside that I think a lot of refs are really on edge and you can see it with some of the focus when it comes to these games.
1: Yeah, we used to call that swallowing your whistle. Like, oh, yeah, don't swallow your whistle now. Right. But I, I think you're right. I think a lot of these guys are starting to think, like, I don't want to be the one that makes this call. Or, you know, if, if I make the call, I better just live with it. Right. There's no going back because then I'm, my reputation is ruined. But I completely agree with you. I think the amount of the amount of people that are talking about the referees this year is by far and away the most I've ever heard. Even when I was a player, since I've been watching football my entire life. Like the referee talk this year discussion, and you've got Patrick Mahomes, the greatest quarterback in the league, talking about how they're affecting outcomes. And the league, the league has to do something about it. And I don't want to belabor the point too much, but I think we've reached the point where the league needs to go. We're really the only professional league that doesn't have refs on full time staff. Right. Like, how is this possible? And then you can flash just the graphic that they put up of like the Christmas Day viewing where it's like, yeah, the NFL pooped all over everyone else. Right. Like we are king. Right. So we better start acting like kings and doing stuff a little bit better because it's the one thing the NFL. The only thing that will kill the NFL is is themselves. Right. And if the refs are the ones that start getting in the way and doing those things, then. I mean it's going to be a problem but i'm with you i think that he should have owned it he should have came out and said i'm sorry and whatnot but i also understand because he's not protected by anything then why would you right like why would you don't have a union or anyone protecting you you can get fired at any time so why really own up to a mistake if you don't have to
0: right and it's a matter of he is eligible he is eligible and so if he said he heard 70 then He's going to say he heard 70 and who's going to, there's maybe the NFL films, mics are the only ones that uh, might be able to pick up on that. I think the answer is so simple. It's right in front of us is if you have one or two referees in every game in a booth with the live feed, right directly to them so they could see everything and they could see every replay and every angle that they want. And then you put those people on TV to explain what's going on. And if you say, Oh, well they can't do that. The XFL already did this. They put people in the booth and they went to them and they said, you know what, here's what I'm seeing. That ball is out. And even for a play like this, even for confusion, could you go up to the refs up there? What are you seeing on the film? Did it look like it was actually 68? Who said that to me? It was 68 touchdown stands bang. It's over and we never have to have this. And I, I don't, I don't think that they like this. I mean, they, they've got to be tired of this being a huge story. Uh, I would say replacement refs is the last time we were having this much discussion mm. about oh, them. Gosh. So in, yeah, I know. Interesting yeah. that uh, the, that you got to be a part of that uh, Deion Dawkins yeah. Fat Man touchdown, though. So let let us let us briefly, very mm. briefly, just go back to Green Bay and what happened there. What is, your, what is your bigger takeaway? Because we know what happened there. Backup quarterback, offensive line low-key got demolished. So all of you in the comment section were like, hey, what was with the offensive line? And I was like, I don't know, who cares? Uh, <laughs> but true, though, really bad data for them yes. in that game. Probably the first bad game that they've had in, in, in some time. But bigger picture, my takeaway on this was, that it revealed all the weaknesses that were simmering under the surface the whole time and sort of waiting to get exposed and then in one night in one flash in one flicker of Jordan Love's arm uh they all got exposed by you know the defense even on the offensive line the the shortage with receivers outside of Jefferson and Addison the running game all those things it was like here's kind of who you are but you've been squeezing out you know these close games before but You've, you, you've got a lot to work on.
1: Yeah, we talked about it last week. I think, you know, it's the Newton's Law. What comes up must come down. And this team has been trying to just ride this high of make the playoffs, play as hard as we can, do everything we can, and and stay relevant, stay in the chase. And after last week's game, you know, and then you go into this week, you kind of felt like a letdown was coming. And it's just a little bit of human nature. And, you know, as I watched that game, I didn't see the same fire that I'd seen from this team for the last 15 weeks, right? I didn't see the guys running around hustling. And when guys are getting beat, you know, it's one of those things like you're getting beat, but it's not as much like sometimes not technique. Sometimes it might be effort. It was kind of all over the map of why guys were getting beat. Like there wasn't a pinpoint thing. And I think a lot of it just comes down to like, this team's tired. This team's emotionally tired for physically beat up. And I know that's not an excuse. I'm not giving that to them as an excuse, but at this point of the year, when you're playing for nothing besides pride, it's really hard when you come out and get punched in the face early like Green Bay did against these dudes to, to really be able to take a step and punch back, right? At that point, you're kind of just surviving, right? You're surviving like, oh, okay, we didn't, we weren't ready. This is bad. Like, we'll just have to kind of figure this out as we go. I think back to 2016 with the Colts, right? The Colts, right? we got Adrian Peterson back. We're feeling good. Blah, blah, blah. And we came out and they punched us square in the face right off the word go. And we never really felt ourselves get back on our feet the rest of the day. And that's what it kind of looked like against this team is, you know, we never made the splash play to get ourselves back into it. We never got the signature stop. Like, nothing went right, so I'm right with you. Everything that was a shortcoming of things that have gotten swept under the rug because of high effort or one guy being able to bail us out at one time just didn't happen this week. And that happens when you play against a team that's hungry, trying to make the playoffs, fighting for their life, and they're trying to do everything they can to win week in and week out versus a team that's just kind of like, well, I think my Mexico vacation starts at the end of January, so we're getting close.
0: Yeah, right. Go Call up the travel agent. I think we're good to go. Why don't you just <laughs> yeah. make the booking uh, 3% chance? You never know. But uh, yeah, I did get a listener question from Evan who DM'd me uh, and he was asking about like kind of the push uh, from, I mean, I, I can't remember exact details of what he was asking, but the bolt, like both sides, like just the extra little push that the Packers seem to have that the Vikings didn't in the trenches. And I think a major part of that is that, well, one, when the longer the quarterback holds onto the ball, the more chance you have for a negative rep there for the offensive lineman. When Tom Brady would make pro bowlers out of guards, one of the reasons was he would get rid of that ball in 2.2 seconds. And Ben Roethlisberger hung around the league and won a lot of football games. I think because he was just getting rid of the ball quickly, but Jaron Hall, not seeing it. There was opportunities out there and he was just not seeing it, which means sit in the pocket and wait and wait and give Rashawn Gary, give Preston Smith, give Kenny Clark, give these guys a chance to just push and push against your, your linemen. not a very good situation. And yeah, I mean, in hindsight, of course you shouldn't have started Jaron Hall because it wasn't, he wasn't capable of handling it, but uh, we didn't know that until we actually saw it. So, I, But I also think the other factor was, too, there was a few uh, like uh, there's gambling shows. There's like shows in Vegas. There's fan duel shows, whatever. And I was on a couple of them last week because they always focus on these big primetime games. And they kept asking, like, well, you know, the, the Vikings are favored to win. And I was shocked by that. I was like their favorite to win. The defense was on the field for 77 plays the week before against Detroit. And that's a very physical Detroit offensive line and their receivers ran them all over the building. And Jameer Gibbs ran all over. It was like, I don't really understand it. So I guess in hindsight, we pretty much should have seen that coming, but it now forces everyone to live with the reality of what this team was always going to be when Kirk cousins went down.
1: Yeah, and and you talk about like with the Green Bays, you got to remember Green Bay squeaked one out against the worst team in football the week before, right? So they had their kind of humble moment the week before this of like maybe we aren't as good as we think we are and everyone's got to button up and everyone's got to have a better week of practice and everyone's got to prepare a little bit better and everyone's got to do everything a little bit better coming into a game where they know that they historically haven't been great in U.S. Bank Stadium, right? Like they have issues there. They know that historically the Vikings have given up great games against them. So like they had a lot of, Bulletin board material that I'm sure the coach was giving them about why they needed to go and why this game meant so much to where they were going, and you know I felt like that was the one of the biggest differences in like the demeanor of both teams. Like the demeanor of the Packers were like we can't let what happened happen again last week. Like we can't let that happen. That can never happen from here on out if we want to make a run at anything. Versus the Vikings have just been like we're just trying to figure out who our quarterback is and who's going to be playing this guy and TJ Hawkinson's dead now. And like, you know, it's like Wanham's dead. And so it's like, it's just like you're just surviving week in and week out. And it's like new faces here and there. And, and when you're talking about the margin of error in the NFL for victory is so small. It's so small. I mean, it, it, every week, the, any team can win. And when you start out about distractions, that type of thing, the Vikings have had plenty of them all year. And I think it finally just boiled over to the point where we just couldn't handle them anymore.
0: Folks, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about prize picks this year. But if you've missed it, here's how it works. You go to prizepicks.com and it is simple. You pick either more or less between two and six player stat projections and that's it. Now you're playing. So if it's X number of yards for a quarterback, you just decide, are they going to throw for more or less than that number of yards? But it works with lots of different options, receiving yards, touchdowns, even field goals, all sorts of sports as well. prizepickscom purple. Go there. Use the code purple for the first deposit match up to $100. One of the reasons I like Prizepicks: it is very simple to use. You would see how we do it on the show real quick and easy. And then we talk about our picks and also not expensive either. You can turn $10 into 250 by nailing just a couple of picks. So go to prizepicks.com slash purple, the code purple, daily fantasy sports made easy. I think emotionally, the Hawkinson and Wanham injuries were really tough because everybody knew how much those two players meant to this team. DJ Wanham was a guy that I had, I'll I'll be honest, I had dismissed. I mean, I just (laughs) honestly thought this guy can't really play. And this year proved me wrong. He had eight sacks, but played 800 plus snaps and was a little bit about an average player, which is good. Like being an average player in the league is good. That keeps you in the league for a long time. You can be very helpful to your team. And when Davenport went down, he stepped in, he was a big part of their run defense, which is also why I kind of thought they might get steamrolled. Cause uh, I think the jury is in on um, Patrick Jones and we can say that he's not anywhere near as good mm-hmm. as DJ Wanum. but you're down to your third and fourth. Andre Carter shouldn't be on a football field yet. I mean, he is a, freakish Ever. wingspan guy, but he's not ready to play in the NFL. He's like a third year into his career. He pops and it all comes together. He's not ready for this. And, and th- so they were just down, but also down from the perspective of these guys meant so much to how they hung around and to see them go down. is like, all right, what, what, what more do we have to do? And of course, also the quarterback threw interceptions and fumbled again. And there's like, just all, all kind of, uh, piled up. So here we are now moving on to the off-season discussion already mm. and as so Vikings fans they're coming out they're they're sobering up after New Year's Eve and they're <laughs> you know looking at the standings like ah oh, no it's over I, uh. and then a savior arrives on national television he rises to the occasion <laughs> Michael Penix Jr. with one of the best games I have ever seen in my life by a collegiate quarterback. I didn't check the big time throw numbers for PFF. It must have been like 14. Just this this man at one point he's 18 for 21. He finishes with 430 yards and last night all of a sudden all these tweets start rolling into my inbox. You think we can give Michael Penix? You think we like <laughs> we're back baby. Um <laughs> I want to know your interpretation of the games that we watched yesterday. And then I have a very specific quarterback question for you, but McCarthy also a guy who's been mocked to the Vikings and then Penix and those performances. Yeah.
1: First of all, great game of college football. I mean, would I love to see Florida state in there with all their guys? Yes, obviously I would have. And I know you're going to shake your head, but I'm just going to plug that in there, but all around, I mean, fantastic day of college football. The games lived up to all their hypes. I still I like the matchup of the Alabama, Michigan and Texas and Washington because they were like the same team. Right. Physical brute going after them. the other ones like this is going to be a track meet like everyone just knew from the word go Texas and Washington is was going to be a track meet. But man, talent all over the board. And it goes back to people always asking, like, well, why are these teams? I was like every single one of those teams has like multiple day one, day two picks on it. Like, that's just the nature of what college football is. If you have NFL talent, you're really, really good. Right. If you don't you get steamrolled, right? And so looking at just the the talent that showed up week, or, uh, in both those games is phenomenal, but, man, you can't speak enough about what Penix has done. You know, I didn't realize, I kind of forgotten that he had had, like, four season-ending injuries, like, torn his ACL a bunch of times, some upper body. Like, for him to come out and make the kind of throws that he makes, I'm willing to put the stamp on, I think he's the most accurate college quarterback in this year's class. Like, the, where the ball placement – dropping them like he only missed in my opinion one throw last night which was a touchdown that he overthrew a tight end in the corner of the end zone but like from from what i've seen from him like i don't think he's as gifted physically as drake may or caleb williams or jaden daniels but as far as like a precision quarterback i think he checks every box above all three of those guys i just
0: mentioned and i have been very much on the train through the years uh yeah i have because i really like and this is what i wanted to ask you about I really like the way he runs the offense. I like the way that there's a lot going on and he is totally in charge. And from the word go last night, he was like, I'm throwing this thing. That this stage is huge. I mean, this is a stage that Washington has not been on in a very long time. And here you are carrying the torch, my guy. You are the man. And he comes out and is like, 50 yard bomb, let's go. <laughs> and I just, I have really liked his leadership and his mentality. And you played with Sam Bradford. Case Keenan was a great leader, not quite as physically gifted as these others. I'll name, but, uh, Cam Newton, mm-hmm. Josh Allen, you, you've got a pretty good quarterback Phillip resume. Philip, That's right. Yeah. Philip rivers and, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. So you've got, I mean, the quarterbacks you played with are a lot of really good players, really great leaders. When you are watching a quarterback from a leadership perspective, what, what are you looking for? And, and where does that show up when you are in the huddle with those guys?
1: Yeah, you know, I've watched Penix quite a bit this year because I really love his offensive line. Right, they won the Joe Moore Award, so I mean, their two tackles. I mean, he had the slowest release time; it was like two point nine eight seconds last night, and he was not under pressure. Like his offensive line did amazing against some really good pass rush against Texas. But as far as back to your question, with like the leadership styles, you know, everyone is different. But the thing I love about Penix is his his demeanor. Like you can tell he doesn't he doesn't ride the roller coaster. Right, like you see Baker Mayfield the other way, right? He is absolutely up and down and right wears his emotion right on his sleeve. And there's a place for that if you can operate within that. But like I've watched Penix when they barely beat Arizona State. I watched him when they were beaten up on Oregon. Like I've watched him throughout this year, and he is just very CJ Stroud like in the fact that just nothing seems to rattle him. Right? Like he just seems to be super calm. And when your trigger man is like that, it's a trickle-down effect for the rest of your team. Like, it really is. Everyone kind of looks when the panic sets in, everything's going around, you look to your guy like, you good? Okay, he's good. I guess we're all good. right? Like, And that is where you look at what he did on the biggest stage, and obviously he's got one more game to it, but I think the NFL is going to love that about him. And maybe it goes to the fact that he is a little bit older and he's a little bit more mature and he has those things. And he's been in multiple schools and he's got to see more like you're going to see more of that from players that bounce around like they have. But when you can have a guy that can walk into a huddle and just command it. And during the broadcast, I believe they said too that Penix called a team only meeting for like a 20 minutes. He went in there and the coach doesn't even know what was said and it was never shared. Like that just shows how much the team believes in a guy like that, too and when you have a guy that's all bought in and then can go out there with just confidence and moxie and sling that thing, go, I'm putting this ball wherever I want it and it's going to be exactly where I throw it. I mean, the sky's the limit for what that kid could be.
0: I just like when I watch the offense and uh, we've got some critiques about play calling in that game, maybe um, clock management, maybe why throw a pass when if you run, the clock winds down better for you. Why, why not kneel down at the end? And, uh, it's whatever. college, man. It it's college it's, football. You just, you never know what you're going to get. I, there's, there's bad football on NFL Sundays, but there's nothing like these calamity <laughs> games where punt returners are trying to catch the ball at the four and have it bounce off them. <laughs> What are we doing here, buddy? Uh, it's, it, there's just a lot of that in snaps in going games. everywhere. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, but, uh, you know, putting that back aside, uh, the play calling was weird running a double reverse when your quarterback is having absolutely zero problems. In fact, one of the best games you'll ever see. So maybe just let him throw, but it's a lot of different stuff. It's motions. It's short stuff. It's intermediate. It's long. It's all over the place. And he seems, and I'm not calling this an NFL offense. That doesn't exist. And when people say that, it drives me insane. Oh, he's from pro style. Nothing's pro style here, buddy. They got, they got pictures of children's characters from uh, Nickelodeon over on the sideline. They're holding up. This ain't, ain't the NFL. But when I see him, Operating those motions and getting everybody lined up correctly, and then throwing to the right spots and throwing on time—that stuff looks like it just happens because he's got a big arm, but it doesn't. It, it goes along with timing, it goes along with chemistry, and he's got good receivers, but he uses all of them. Everybody was getting in on that, and I just there was so much to be uh, impressed by. But I love how when I said, "What'd you think of McCarthy and Penix?" You were just like, "Penix, let me start talking right about him." Uh, but I, I think um, with McCarthy, McCarthy
1: sucks. I'm going to say it. he sucks. He's not a college. He's not an NFL quarterback. And that's, that's okay. I'm saying he sucks for the NFL. You can be a phenomenal college quarterback and the streets are littered with them, right? The streets are littered with really, really good college quarterbacks. That doesn't automatically make you a great NFL quarterback. Tim Tebow is a fantastic example. That dude was the best to watch in college. Like he was so much fun to watch in college. He could will his team to do anything doesn't mean he was going to make it in the NFL, right? Blake Bortles, really fun to watch at UCF. He did some things in the NFL, but like when you're talking about arm talent and the ability, like McCarthy's not it. And I I will be really sad, and I do mean this sad. If the Vikings draft McCarthy in the first round, I'm going to be really sad because I don't think that dude is a first-round talent by any stretch of the imagination. Now you've got Harbaugh saying who's the best quarterback to ever play at Michigan. I'm like... Are You dumb! You know who came out of there? Like, are you dumb? Like, you can't say things like that. You're just making
0: the kids set up to fail. You no, know, Elvis Gerback was out of Michigan. What are, <laughs> what are we talking about here? Brian Greasy, Brian Greasy was a great Michigan quarterback. Drew Henson could hey, do a little bit of everything. Don't man. you forget about Chad Henney.
1: Chad <laughs> Henney now. Hey. Chad Henney, man, he was the guy.
0: The Kansas City Chiefs do not go to the Super Bowl without that Chad Henney. That is a, a fact. Play. That's Fun right, drive, and baby. I don't know if anybody else came from there, but that's the full list of quarterbacks <laughs> that I can think of for Michigan. Uh, so, okay. But you bring up a great, a great topic here because you're, you this is your opinion on McCarthy. I share, share a similar opinion. I, I wouldn't go sucks, but I would probably go uh, very skeptical based on what's, what's the skill, what's the answer. Okay. So he, he runs pretty well, but. Do you see what it takes to run in the NFL as a quarterback? And they're not going to be an impact player there. Bryce Young ran well. He tried to run away from some Vikings backups and got tracked down in like two seconds. Daniel Hunter ran down Justin Fields from behind this year. Like you're not you're not running. So uh he doesn't even have that shiftiness anyway to dodge people in traffic. He doesn't have the, you know, that natural running ability. He does he has a good arm, but it's not precise like there's not this like precision it takes a little bit to get the ball out so there's a little bit of a uh bring the ball down and and huck it type of thing so there's a little delay there it has to throw with more anticipation because of that these things are going to make his life hard however if the minnesota vikings draft him i will say thumbs up vikings no. here's why here's why here's why because i don't believe in myself i don't <laughs> i and and look i i've done well in the past I've done well guessing quarterbacks. You can go look at my tweets about Lamar Jackson or uh, Patrick Mahomes, but I've also done really poorly at times. And I've also been really stupid and so has everyone. And that's where I would be like, all right, here's what I want. Here's what I think is key that Kevin O'Connell thinks the guy's great. And that those two can work together and they can design the offense for this guy. And then whatever happens happens. So I am not going to believe in myself too much because I think the process of drafting a quarterback that Kevin O'Connell loves is correct. Even if I will be like, I don't know guys. So if I'm just warning everyone that if I spend the next three and a half months saying that I'm not <laughs> huge on McCarthy and they pick them. I will be the biggest hypocrite and be like, good traffic. I'll do it. I don't care. I will do that.
1: You die on that hill. I will not, I will be upset, right? I will be upset mostly because all the stuff you laid out, you can't be a difference maker. Right? I'll, I'll put my cam Newton hat off, right? Cam Newton hat on, right? You a game changer. Or you a game manager, right? Like which one are you? And you look at McCarthy, and immediate impact. I think if you're drafted in the first round, the idea is you need to be ready to make an immediate impact. That doesn't mean that you should, right? Like Mahomes sat for a year under Alex Smith. Perfect. It was great for him, but you have to be in that upper round of like, if we need you to come in this year, you need to be ready and you need to make a difference. I don't see that from JJ McCarthy. I just don't, right? I mean, he went, he went an entire game this year. He threw like nine passes. And they were all on the move, right? And it's hard to look at a Michigan quarterback and go, how often do you drop him back, right? And and that's where you look at guys like Penix and you look at Drake May and you look at even Daniels and Caleb Williams, like they live in drop back offenses a lot. Like they drop back, they have to see the field, they have to understand where the field is. And if there's one thing Penix is doing right now is it's his ability to see the field, to understand where the coverage is and where the route concept can beat the coverage and when to get the ball out. I don't see that from McCarthy. A lot of times McCarthy is like, like, I see him, he knows the route. He thinks it's a certain coverage and he kind of locks in on that. I'm not saying you can't grow into that, but that's not a first round talent in my mind, right? You you can have all the, the stuff of like, well, he could be this, he could be that. You can't take a quarterback in the first round on potential. I hate that. I hate when you're like, well, this guy's potential is through the roof. It's like, you willing to bet $20 million on it? Because I'm not, right? Like you have to be willing to say that. And I think with all those other guys, I think McCarthy's a distant fifth. I think he's a distant fifth above you go Drake, May, Caleb Williams, Daniels, Penix, like, and then McCarthy's kind of right there in that mix too.
0: somewhere is Bo Nix, which I just really wish they had provided him with an opponent uh, as opposed to a, uh, like that, that game was like when the other team pays $2 million to your college (laughs) for you to beat them by 70. I I don't, I don't know how that pairing ended up happening. Oregon could play with anybody and they end up playing against Liberty. That was, it was like, why did Bo Nix play in this game? He he shouldn't have bothered. Uh, So he was a hard one to evaluate all year long. I guess here's my point that there are people in every comment section who are like no you guys are underrating mccarthy every time it's come up and um, here's my answer maybe like maybe i mean it could be because look there's a we know this guy on twitter greg gabriel who when he's wrong everyone owns him about everything and it's hilarious he had a tweet about like you guys think the bears are going to be bad after they won a game or two and then they drafted number one last year so like this guy everyone like loves owning this guy on twitter but he used to be in the nfl and he likes mccarthy and so you're like well this is the thing about scouting is even within a scouting department within a front office I have heard from people that there were teams that had Kellen Mond above Mac Jones and neither one of them turned out to be great, but Kellen Mond couldn't even run a practice, much less win NFL games. And that's how hard it is to figure it out. So I'm seeing some of the same things you're seeing with wondering what's the cheat code here for McCarthy. And when people talk about, well, he's kind of like a Kirk, but the thing is that like a Kirk usually doesn't work out. Kirk is a very unique dude. He was a fourth round pick for a reason. And he worked like a total madman, psychopath to maximize every single ounce. And he's actually pretty good at processing in the moment in comparison to most quarterbacks. So it's like Kirk is a, an outlier. Usually this quarterback doesn't work out, um, as that was a similar criticism of Mac Jones, but we were get, we will get another look at both of them head to head in the national championship game. And isn't that funny that here on our show, we've spent this much time talking about college because that's where we're at with this (laughs) football team. Uh, So how should the Vikings approach this last game against Detroit? I mean, they haven't announced a starter as we speak. I'm guessing it's just going to be Nick Mullins. I, I I don't see any reason to go back to Jaron Hall. What, 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 what are they supposed to accomplish here against Detroit? I mean, I think as a
1: coach, the 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 message to the players as a coach this week is like, you're playing for your jobs, right? Like that last week was embarrassing, right? All fronts. And I'm the one that has to stand up in the front. I'm the one that takes the spears and takes the arrows. Like I am ultimately responsible for the product that comes on the field on Sunday. So know this, everyone on this team, you're fighting for your job, right? And there's going to be certain dudes like saw and other guys will be like, Got it. Sure thing. Okay, I got to step my shit up, right? But then there's going to be guys that are like, man, I, I, I'm playing for my life. Like, I'm playing for my life. Maybe not just on this team, but in the NFL. And so I do think we're going to see more effort. I think we're going to see more fight out of this team. Um, you know, but with Detroit losing to Dallas, they've got a lot to play for. Like, they've got a lot to play for in this game. I think at one point it was like, well, maybe if they win, they can trust their starters or whatever it may be, but. No, this is a Detroit team that's going to be coming ready to rock and ready to go. And so I think weathering the initial storm is going to be really important. Um, You know, if we get punched in the face like we did against Green Bay, bounce back, fight back, understand that, learn from last week. But, you know, I just want to see a team that fights a little bit more this week, you know, just as a whole, just a little bit more effort, a little bit more fight, a little bit better execution. And, you know, they always are, they already know who the starting quarterback is. It's no secret. Like the team knows. Right. And so just rallying around your guy and maybe a little, Maybe a little surety per like, hey, that's our guy. We know we can rally him. Or maybe going into this week, it was like, is Hall the guy? Are they going to pull him at half? Right? Like, I think a lot of that's just going to come down to like, hey, Nick Mullins is our guy. One last ride. Let's go out and do this thing.
0: I think we should find out who the emergency position player quarterback is in this game and see if CJ Ham could throw a few passes or uh, whatever it might be. So I, I have a little game for you I that like I want to play before we get to uh, love to see it, hate to see it but uh i i've been thinking about feelings lately mm. you know i have a lot i have a lot of feelings when it comes yeah. to football uh yeah, yeah. mostly watching it i i like it feel good uh so i'm going to ask you about a person and you tell me what you think they're feeling right now okay and then you can ask me about somebody and i'll tell you what i think they're feeling you understand the I, game i get it okay I'm with. what do you think justin jefferson's feeling right now
1: frustration a lot of frustration you know i think For multiple fronts, one, he knows he's the best receiver in football and he knows that at any time and any given Sunday, he can go have a 200 catch a 200 yard type of game frustrated about getting hurt and then also frustrated about like I'm trying to get paid as much as humanly possible and you don't even know who's throwing me the football. Right. Like, I think there's a lot of frustration in Jefferson and what he's going through and what this year was for him, because I think he had high aspirations of breaking records and all that stuff. And so you compound the injury with the quarterback situation. I think he is just wildly frustrated.
0: I agree. And you could see it in his body language. And once everybody calms down after the season and once there are pieces of paper slid across tables with gigantic numbers on it, and once he is assured of what their plan is at quarterback, I think that he will feel better. I imagined Justin Jefferson on his couch last night, like the DiCaprio GIF, where he's like, with there with Michael is. Penning, so that, that, <laughs> that, that man right there that throws that football downfield, I can be Roma Dunze uh, and better. So, you know, I don't, I don't know how he feels about the quarterback situation. He's always going to show appreciation for Kirk Cousins. I don't know how much influence he really has. I think that this plan was laid out years ago when they hired these guys. Now, two years ago, and they have told Jefferson what the plan is, and he's got a sense for it, but whether they stick with it, I don't know, Uh, Mm. because when they laid out a three-year time horizon and then didn't extend the quarterback, I think I have a good idea what the three-year time horizon was, but I don't know what it will be and if they'll stay to it. Who do you want me to talk about how they're feeling?
1: Talk Talk to me about Alexander Madison.
0: How's Alexander Madison feeling right now? You know what? I'm feeling like I missed my my shot is probably how I'm feeling is Alexander Madison because, uh, as a philosopher from Detroit once said, "You get one shot, one opportunity for everything you ever wanted. and uh, he didn't he didn't capture it in the same way that maybe B Rabbit did in mm. the rap battle. Uh, but you know, I, I think if you're Madison, what what he's shown this throughout his career is that he could play in the league and he could be a good guy on a team that everyone's going to like, and everyone's going to care about. But the things that we thought would translate from a part-time player to a full-time player are different. And this goes for lots of dudes. Like, I mean, for example, the longer Caleb Evans was out on the field, the more Mm. it became obvious that this is a guy who could play in the league, but I'm not sure he's a guy who you want playing a thousand snaps. And Rick Spielman used to have color coding for this because of course he did. It was like a blue player and a red player and a maroon green player, or something and the the blue player was this is a guy who plays a thousand snaps plays the whole season it's going to be either a really good player or a star and then there was like this other category of hey we trust this guy we like him the call it the dakota dozier if you need a dakota dozier for four to six games in a season you could, you could survive those you need him for 16 oh my god like this is not going to be good So I I think that Madison belongs in that category, that he should be on the team and he should be happy he got his contract when he did. But he's going to be part of a duo at best. I really think Ty Chandler is the the running back and they need to bring in another guy, draft another guy, bring in another guy in free agency because it's it's just not, you didn't get RB1. And one of the benefits of 2023 and moving on from Delvin Cook, who got cut today, by the way, um, was to find out. And so even though I, I've deviated from the question about how he's feeling, he's probably not feeling good at all, uh, but you found out that you didn't mm-hmm. have RB one there and then you have to act accordingly. I, I think the same thing about a number of things, uh, if, tell me how you think Kwasi Adolfo Menz is feeling right now. I
1: think he's actually feeling okay. You know, I think obviously the year didn't go where he wanted it to be, but I think, I think enough things happened this year that give him hopeful optimism about the future for some of the people on this roster. But I think also, like you said, enough stuff revealed itself through natural consequences of guys having to play a lot of understanding who he feels he can trim some of the fat around. And I think as a guy that's very analytic driven, very numbers driven, he's going to have a chance to look at a lot of this stuff and go, okay, where do we pick? What do we need? Where do we allocate our resources? And who do we keep? Who do we don't? And I think as far as from a a pure managerial standpoint, right, I'm not talking about, like, the win-loss record, but, like, if you're talking about just a true GM taking your hat off and looking at this team and this roster from a pure potentials and, like, what's on it, I think he's feeling pretty good right now. I think he knows that he has front burner and back burner issues, right? Front burner is obviously Justin Jefferson's contract. Like, who are we going to get a quarterback, that type of thing? And then back burner is kind of like you said, who are those maroon to green guys that we want to keep on this roster at the right price? And then what is our draft plan? I think he's in a great spot. I think there's a lot of GMs in the league that would kill to be where Quavyadov Mensa is right now, with what this roster has and where it is. It compared to some of the you look around the teams that are complete messes around the NFL. I think he's in a really good spot, and I think he knows it, and I think he's excited about where they're at.
0: I think that he uh, was is probably thinking to himself, "This is what I thought would happen, but not this way. Like I didn't think Kirk would get hurt, or I didn't think whatever, but." I thought we would be seven and nine going into the last. I didn't think that Brian Flores would do as much as he did or or whatever, but I didn't think that we were going to be a team that competed for a Super Bowl this year. And whatever plan that he came up with going into the offseason – he's probably still looking at that going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And there was a lot of good outcomes for him as well, including two draft picks that actually turned out really great from this year's draft and an undrafted free agent. Uh, I mean, you got three legit players, Makai Blackman to play and you have a star ish. We'll see where it goes from here in Jordan Addison, but at very least a quality, quality receiver and a absolute long-term starter in Ivan Pace, Jr. You feel really good about what you did in that draft. And. You also are probably a little bit daunted by the number of things that you're going to have to decide on. And here's where I wonder, for his feelings, it entirely depends on his boss. Because if his boss says, this is your show, you do what you're supposed to do here, what we laid out at the beginning, he probably feels great. If his boss says, you know what, I know that you said, but now I've seen Nick Mullins play, and now I think, then that might change. But they did not force an extension on Kwesi at for Kirk last offseason. So that kind of makes me, you know, wonder. Uh, give, give me one more, and then we'll do a quick love to see at HC. Ooh. How are you feeling if you're Brian Flores? Where are you at? I thought you were going to ask me Kirk. Can I give you Kirk and then Brian Flores? I'll do Kirk.
1: Yeah, let's do Kirk. Oh, we'll you, do, you
0: do Kirk. Okay, I'll do my No, no, you, Flores, do Kirk. you do I Kirk.
1: I want to hear your Kirk. I want to hear your oh, Kirk. So oh. how does Kirk
0: Cousins, number eight, how does Kirk Cousins feel? Appreciate it that's how that's how i feel i feel kirk cousins i think his whole life has thought that people don't like him and most people i've ever talked to do like him but i think he's always thought people didn't like him and he maybe didn't like his personality didn't always feel comfortable totally because in an nfl locker room there's a lot of really baller ass dudes who wear expensive chains and come from south florida and they're just a little different than kirk And I think over the last year after they embraced that about him last year in the locker room and then the Netflix documentary and everybody liked it and they liked how he came across and then he was playing well and his coach was talking about how much he likes him. I think he felt really like good about who he was and how he operates as a quarterback and then he gets hurt and then everyone stinks after that. And so and then everyone's talking about, man, Kirk was really good, wasn't he? And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, that's right. Kirk is good. And uh, so him going up and taking off his shirt and doing that whole thing, it, it felt like a man who's never felt better about himself. And also, I would also be looking around the league and talking to my agent. and I would say, hey, Mikey, how are we looking out there? How's, how are you feeling about that market? Well, we got Atlanta, we got Pittsburgh, we got their, oh, oh. I'm feeling good about my prospects as well, whether it's the Vikings or where it's anybody else. So I think he's never felt better.
1: I would agree. I'd agree. I think that someone's going to pay him a bunch of money next year. Might be the Vikings. It might not. But I do think someone's going to pay him a high dollar amount to come be their starting quarterback next year.
0: Yep, I think so. So how's Brian Flores feeling? Feeling a little let down over uh, the last couple of weeks, maybe?
1: Yeah, you know, I was going to say, I feel like he's probably the most disappointed. You know, I think he knew that he was getting everything out that he could out of this defense and he was doing a great job and he's starting to feel the sand fall through his fingertips. Right. Like he had it. It was right there. And he knew eventually it was going to come down to where and I think he was like, I just needed two more weeks. Like I needed two more weeks. But I also think he's thinking I did enough in this league. Like I'll be able to truly know if I'm getting blackballed by the NFL or not, or if I can go be a head coach again. Right. I think he proved that he has the capacity to be a head coach in this league again. Um, But I also don't know if maybe he loves Minnesota and he wants to stay or whatever it might be. But I think he feels like he has options, which is good. Um, But I also know that he's probably the most disappointed on that team because he felt like he had built something of a a culture on that defense. that just hasn't lived up to it the last couple of weeks.
0: Yep. 90 points in the last three weeks uh, against Brian Flores. So he probably felt like it was kind of right there and all the hype was going his way. And then, eh, I don't know how it ended, but still, if they finish in the top 15 defense, he's got a pretty good case. And I think that, I think what people always remember is kind of like the general vibe of stuff and not the specifics. So the general vibe was Flores did an amazing job with this defense. And the the ending, I don't think will influence it a ton. What will influence it is, is there an owner who's going to decide that that's what he's going to do? Uh, very, very quick, if you have anything for love to see it, hate to see it. We kind of talked about loving to see the college games last night. So what do you got?
1: Yeah, my hate to see it is uh, Mr. Tepper. Mr. Tepper, you cannot throw things at the fans. I don't know if they missed this in business school or where you came from, but you can't be in the owner's box and throw things at the people that pay to come watch your team. Bad look, bad look all around.
0: It is. Uh, you know what? And and I tweeted that uh, Ziggy should have thrown a walleye at somebody <laughs> when he was, uh, you know, just David Tepper throw. I mean, Gosh. I think I just, just hate to see it is to go along with that. Is just Bryce Young is now saddled with that for at least the next four years of his life. And we talk about it all the time about the, uh, the situation that you land into and how it influences your career. I mean, it couldn't be any clearer with that, how much it it influenced the career. My hate to see it is the New England Patriots for a really long time had Tom Brady and they were wonderful and they won all the time and they had the Patriot way and everyone was a genius. And they're going to get another damn good quarterback, aren't they? Aren't they? They're not even going to pay for this. They're going to keep getting away with this because they're going to draft Jalen Daniels and then Belichick's going to retire, or go into a consulting role with the defense or something. And they're going to hire Ben Johnson. He's going to come in. He's going to run a bunch of bootlegs and the Drake may or something is going to throw for 5,000 yards. And the Patriots are going to go right back to the top of the division. And it's just going to be miserable for another decade. That's how you could tell where I came from in Buffalo I was say, I was say that's, 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 that's what inner, I think is going to happen.
1: <laughs> the old inner bill in you is just beating that heart, just beating that heart going right there. Um, I also I think, see
0: uh, sh- uh okay, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I say my, my love to see it is I think people are finally coming around on cooling down on Caleb Williams. I think with the fact that that USC quarterback walked in and threw for six quarterback through six touchdowns, everyone's like, wait, it's, is Caleb really that good? Or is Lincoln Riley just a pretty damn good schemer, right? Back to Kyler, back to Baker, back to Caleb. Like, I think people might be starting to see Caleb for less of a a generational type talent and maybe just a really good quarterback, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But I just, I was so sick of hearing about how this guy was the next coming. Like, I just, I, I couldn't handle it anymore.
0: I think anytime the next Mahomes, it it throws me back to when it, I just show my age constantly. Uh, Michael Jordan was playing, yeah, which was very long ago. But every player that came after. This guy's the next Jordan. This guy's the next Jordan. It's like, I don't know about that. And the same thing with any tall quarterback who processed well in college, this guy's just like Manning. Like, no, he's <laughs> no, no, he's not. That's one of the all time freakiest human beings yeah. to ever pick up a football. So probably not. And I think Uh, With Caleb Williams, we were just talking about Penix and handling the pressure. I think Williams did a bad job of handling the pressure this year. I think he tried to look like Mahomes on every play he could. And the big disturbing thing, and I took this away from those old Gruden camps, I was watching his receivers. And Caleb Williams' receivers would be like, bro, like what? I'm right here. And those the receivers, they are sheeple. They do what the quarterback (laughs) is telling them to do in the right situation, right? Like, I I, I do job, I run route, I get open. And when they start to get there, that's the funny thing is that they're thought of as like divas or something. I think of them as much more of sort of like receiver bots. They just like you plug in where they're supposed to go and they're like, here I go. And if you aren't getting them the football, they'll be confused. Like, what, what, huh? What happened? And there was a way too much of that. And then, yeah, it's a bad look for some dude to come off the bench and be like, oh, actually, my receivers are wide open if I stay in the pocket and throw it. (laughs) I have uh, heard that there are people already that do have Drake May uh, at the top. So there's going to be a lot more evaluation to be done. The only thing I was going to add is hate to see it, Sean Payton. Um, And that's both Mm. sarcastic and serious. I mean, no one is more disliked. People even like Joe Buck now. I was walking into the uh, stadium and I saw a dude that had a jacket that said, dig sideline, unbelievable. So Joe Buck has been forgiven He's in, back. in Minnesota. And number one hated most person from Vikings fans is Sean Payton. So sarcastically, I'm sure for Vikings fans, hate to see that that guy is in the the middle of this. But it is absolute horse bleep that you can threaten a player to be sat down over not giving up his injury guarantees. What do we even negotiate a contract for if we can do that? That needs to be changed, investigated, whatever. That conversation that happened with Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos, that is... It's messed up, and the way that uh, Sean Payton treated him this year was completely wrong. And honestly, the guy played pretty well. He won a lot of games for them. They did not have a good team. They didn't have great coaching, I think, from Sean Payton. And maybe, just just maybe, that Drew Brees guy had a little bit to do with his success. I don't know. Maybe. Possibly. So yeah. hate, to see, hate to see him being a bully pushing the edges of the rules. Not that that would ever happen before.
1: Yeah, the PA is going to take him to the cleaners. I mean, they, they have the nfl and the pa behind him he's toast like th- this is gonna and the, the sad thing is it's gonna hurt the team mm-hmm. uh, like he's gonna get in trouble and it's gonna hurt taking something away from the team which is the saddest part about it. like he'll get a fine but whatever but like if they take away draft picks or practice time or whatever it may be like that's gonna eventually be what ends up hurting the organization over him but yeah very poorly handled i thought russ actually has handled it very well um definitely handled it better than I would have as a player. Like I'd have been burning the building down and hanging everyone's dirty laundry out to dry. But, you know, I think he's handled it in a very professional
0: manner because he still knows he's got football in front of him to still play. All right. Next week, you and I will get together and we will break down every single play of Vikings-Lions one by one on the show. I don't care how long it takes. That is the plan. Nothing else will be discussed about the offseason. I am just kidding. But we are in in offseason mode unless something insane happens, and then I'll be flying somewhere for a football game. But uh, (laughs) I appreciate you, Jeremiah. We'll continue to go through the playoffs, Yep. so we are going absolutely nowhere. And then, you know, if they bring in Harbaugh for an interview again or something, uh, we might have to do another mock press conference like we did. Yes. One of the highest downloaded episodes ever. We did a mock press conference for Jim Harbaugh (laughs) being hired. And then five hours later, they hired someone else. So, uh, (laughs) Classic. Power for the
1: the course. Power for the course.
0: Exactly. Thanks for your time, man. And uh, we'll talk soon.
1: Later.